everybody! Welcome to the Good Evening Kitties podcast, a Tales from the Crip review. My name is Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, and today's episode is Season 5, Episode 10, Came the Dawn. As always, John Kassir does the voice of the Crip Keeper, and Danny Elfman does the theme song. This episode aired November 17th, 1993. This episode was directed by Uli Edel, or Uli Edel. He also directed movies like Pay the Ghost. The screenplay was written by Ron Finley, who I believe also did four other episodes, I think, for Tales from the Crypt. This episode stars Brooke Shields, who's from movies like The Blue Lagoon and TV's Suddenly Susan, Perry King from movies like The Day After Tomorrow, Michael J. Pollard from movies like Scrooged, and Valerie Wildman from TV's Beverly Hills 90210. I found the disc, or the box, so I'm going to go ahead and read the description on the back of the box here for Season 5, Episode 10, Came the Dawn. Accept a ride now. Axe questions later. A motorist picks up a woman stranded on the roadside in the rain. That always turns out really great. That's why people continue to do that, right? They keep picking people up and nothing ever goes wrong with that. So let's get into this one. This episode, I didn't really remember it when I went to watch it. Um, some of these later season episodes... For me, at least, they weren't on as often as some of the first, probably the first four seasons were played a lot more um, on TV. So as I'm getting into these later seasons, it's going to be a bit more new for me. Or at least like, kind of like, oh yeah, that's what that's about, you know, kind of thing. So I didn't really remember this one too much. But that being said, there are also some episodes that I'm still looking forward to that I know about coming up in upcoming seasons. So, again, Season 5, Episode 10, Came the Dawn. Let's get into it. This episode opens up with the Crypt Keeper, of course, as it always does. In the Crypt, they have kind of put a curtain kind of thing, and then there's some airplane seating. It almost kind of looks more like he's doing stand-up. Um, if it weren't for the airplane seats, and then they got some, like, sound effects, but he's wearing a suit, and he's in front of, like, a red curtain. And there is also a small sign that's, like, a no-smoking sign on the side of the wall there. So he's opening up with just a bunch of puns, just having a great time. Good evening, creeps, and welcome aboard Tales from the Crypts Airlines, Flight 666, offering direct service from your living room straight to hell. <laughs> As we will be experiencing some turbulence, we recommend that you keep your seatbelt fastened and your vomit bags handy. So slip on your dead set and get ready for tonight's in-fright entertainment. So he brings in the episode. The first thing you see is some champagne or something being poured. And there's a woman, I believe this is played by Valerie Wildman. And it's just like her face, like she's talking. She's got the champagne. It's kind of from the, the other person's point of view. So you're watching close up, you're at a, a restaurant with her and she's got the champagne. And they're kind of like, she's like flirting with whoever the the view is, you know, just like a lot of like, kind of like sexual innuendos and things. And then the view looks down at her breasts, you know, in her dress and everything. And she's like, well, hang on, I have to go use the restroom. So it cuts to the bathroom. So you got the ladies room at the restaurant and she's in this nice, like um, strapless black dress thing. And she's got like a red, um, what's the word? Um, it's not a scarf wrap. That's what I'm thinking of. It's a wrap. And it shoots from like the top so you can see the little sink and then you can see like the top of her head and her legs as she's sitting on the toilet and she's not going to the bathroom. And what she's doing is she's putting her lipstick on and she's got her compact mirror out and she's practicing how she's going to react to 
having sex with this person. Like she, she's like pretending on like, oh yeah, it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> just like checking all that, making sure she can look hot enough. It's not working, but she's trying and she's like making sure nothing's in her teeth and things like that. So as she's doing this, um, the door of the bathroom slides open a little and you just see like a little figure and the lights go out. And so she's like, um, hey, I'm still in here. Excuse me. There's somebody in here. Hello? It's Ocupado. Could you turn the light back on, please? Hello? There's somebody in here. What are you fucking deaf? And that's when the stall door gets opened and it's just you see you don't see the face but you see it's just a figure with like long um i think reddish like curly hair thick wig and just an, an axe and they just start going to town on this on this woman like killing her right and it's pretty gory it's a little graphic there's a lot of blood splattered on the floor and dripping on the floor and her trying to climb off up the side of the bathroom stall and like her she's all bloody and things like that so i mean it's it's pretty starts out pretty strong you know you're like what's going on what's this deal and then it just shows a pool of blood and cuts away and then an opening credits come on and so now it's um perry king he's playing a guy named roger roger is driving in a nice car you can't really tell but in a second here he's gonna make a phone call on his own car phone which in the 90s if you had a car phone that usually meant you had some money so he is driving and it's storming really bad. Like it's raining cats and dogs, as they say, right? And he's got like a nice business suit and some studious looking glasses and like a nice haircut and things like that. And he pulls out his car phone. And he's, he really shouldn't be doing this because he keeps looking away from the road. You shouldn't do this. But he's making a phone call and he calls this woman. He gets her voicemail. And it's funny because she's like, hey, it's so-and-so. And then it's this voicemail of like, Roger, if this is you, like, leave me alone and all this stuff. And so he gets on the voicemail and he's like, could we maybe not have that just airing out to everybody? Hi, this is Joanna. I'm out, but I'd really love to hear from you, so please leave a message. That is, unless it's you, Roger. In which case, don't leave a message. Just stay out of my life, you bastard. Hi, it's Roger. I wish you wouldn't leave messages like that for everybody in the world to hear. And they don't really go too much into it, but it, to me, it seemed like whatever he did really annoyed this woman or he was become, maybe coming on too strong or being a little stalkery or something and she just wants nothing to do with him. And so she's just pushing away. You kind of think maybe it's like his wife or ex-wife or something like that. And he's basically like, hey, I'm on my way to my cabin and I'm bored and I'd really like to see you. And so he gets mad. He hangs up the phone, you know, leaves the voicemail, hangs up the phone. And up ahead, um, it shoots to Brooke Shields and she's mad. She's at this truck and it's pouring out rain. And it's just like this old, not old, but it's like a nice farm truck, you know, with like the rounded front, I think. Yeah, like that rounded, kind of rounded front pickup truck, you know, with like the wooden planks in the back where you would put like fruit or something or pigs. I don't know. And she's kicking at the truck and the truck lights are on and, and the hood's up. The truck's broken. And she's got just like some jeans and a flannel shirt on, like a long sleeve flannel. And she's out there just like, Oh, this is stupid. Her hair's like all wet. She's got like a ponytail and she's just soaked. And so Roger's driving along listening to classical music because he loves that because sure. 
And he sees his truck up ahead and the person waving, you know, with like a flashlight, like, hey, you know. And he realizes, you know, it's a woman. Like he goes to pass her up and then he sees it's a woman. And so he's like, oh, hang on. And he like backs up because I, I think he's really just wanting some company for tonight. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Why not? He's not doing anything else. And so he's like, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, this truck is all broken and stuff. So he says, I have a car phone. Get in. I'll call a mechanic. And he hands her a, a clean, dry shirt from the back seat of his car. And so she takes off the flannel and she starts putting another shirt on. And it shoots to him, like, looking at her, um, her, she's got, like, a plain white cotton bra on. And he's just like, oh, oh. like, <laughs> the way his eyes are like, oh, oh, boobs. You know, like, he's just like, oh, my gosh, what? This is, this woman's crazy. And he's, like, trying not to look, you know, and she doesn't care. She's chewing gum and just like, I'm happy to get out of this wet clothes. Personally, I'd want to get out of the jeans. I hate wet jeans. So I don't know what I would do in this situation, but I'd just be like, ew, you know, feeling gross. He d he can't really drive back to the city where she's at or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'd take you to the bus station, but the last bus just left like an hour or something a couple hours ago. Um, so there's not much I can really do to help you with that. And then he's also like, I could book you a room at a hotel or something overnight. And she's like, no, no. Like, she kind of pushes that off r real quick, which it, for me was like a red flag. Like, there's a reason why she doesn't want maybe too many people to know she's around or something. So it's kind of like another little red herring. Like, you're like, what? what? What is the twist? So he's like, well, come stay with me at my cabin. I have plenty of room. I could use the company. Plenty of spare bedrooms and things like that. And so she's like, all right, whatever. So they start driving away. And first he wants to make a stop at this, like, it's only, like, I guess it's like a gas station. And so they're, as they're driving, they have this conversation where, like, this, um musical comes on and she tells Roger her name is Norma. My name is Roger, by the way. What's yours? Oh, Norma. Are you kidding me? No. It's incredible. But listen to this. Yeah, so? This has got to mean something. It's Norma, the Druid Priestess. It's one of the greatest operas in the world. Opera? <laughs> well, it's personal weakness. I like to curl up at night with a bottle of red wine, listen to opera, and sob. It's not a pretty sight. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And she's like, why is that? And he's like, this opera I'm listening to is called Norma. It's like the best in the world. Like, it's the greatest ever known or whatever. So I'm watching and I'm like, is it now? And so I look it up. It is a, a real opera thing. So I looked up Norma because I was like, let's see just how greatest sort of all time or whatever this is. Uh, it is an opera. It's by Vincenzo Bellini. It is an opera in two acts um, from 1831. And so I was like, okay, well, that's legit. Fine. So I read a little bit about it just to get into what this Norma is real quick because he's like super excited. And she's just like, yeah, whatever. It's my name. So just a quick summary of this Norma opera, just so you know. So Norma's like this high priestess, right? And she's got two kids by this dude named Polione or Polione. And she breaks her druid chastity vows, discovers that her lover is now in love with her friend, this other priestess. And so Norma is like, hey, Polione, give up this other priestess and come back to me. And he's like, nah. So then Norma publicly confesses her fault and is sentenced to death by fire and Polion is convicted for pursuing the other priestess and goes to stake with Norma and they both die. And so part of me right away was like, wait, what does she confess to? Like she broke her chastity vows because she had two kids by the guy that ended up cheating on her. But then 
she had, I'm like, why is she confessing? Like, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And then they all died. What happened to the other priestess? I don't know. So anyway, I was like, well, that doesn't sound right. Doesn't have much to do with this episode too much, but it's something nice enough. So now you know. So anyway, he's super pumped about that, that her name is Norma. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And so they show up at like this, uh, yeah, it's like a country, it says like country nature or some sort of country store. And so they pull up to this country store or whatever, and it's still raining really bad. Um, and he pulls up and parks it and leaves her out in the car with it running. And I'm like, that's not smart. So she starts looking through his stuff. She's looking at this Norma city or whatever. And she's just chewing her gum and whatever. And so Roger goes in the store and the store is ran by Michael J. Pollard. He's on the phone talking to this guy, Dave. And they kind of mentioned Dave earlier, I think. I think Dave, may, maybe Dave was the mechanic or something. But basically what Michael J. Pollard's character is saying is that Dave's truck got stolen. Somebody stole his truck last night. You're kidding. This place is getting worse than this city. Think about that lady who got killed a few nights back? Somebody got killed? Yeah. In the woman's toilet over the restaurant? Chopped her up like a roasted chicken. Hacked off her arms, split her right up the middle. Jesus, Ed. Steak bulls don't got a clue. Bunch of morons. You know what I think? It's the same guy who took Dave's truck. Norma stole this truck, and that's why she didn't want him to, like, call a hotel. And so they're kind of talking about that and stuff, and he's looking around the store. Roger's like, that's crazy. You know, Dave's truck got stolen. That's crazy. And then he asks Michael J. Pollard's character if he has any Cristal. And I'm like, oh, Cristal? We're looking for Cristal in this country store. And the guy running the store was like, yeah. And I don't know if he went over to just get generic wine, because he does go over to, like, the bottles and stuff to look at it. And I was like, Cristal, that's what you're thinking is here? So I looked up Cristal, and if you, uh, let's see, there's a Cristal Rose Champagne um, at this one store that you can pick up today. Hey, it's $519.99. It's not cheap. Uh, it is also known as a iconic $300 champagne. Apparently it's pretty great tasting, some people think. And apparently the cost is because of the quality of the grapes and the method of making it. They are hand-picked and carefully blended and aged. It's expensive. So maybe he was just, you know, the other guy running the store probably was just joking, gave him whatever, most expensive wine. So while he's in there talking about that, wines and trucks and things, so Brooke Shields is in, back in the car and she's still looking through his stuff and she opens up the glove compartment and she finds like a roll of quarters and she's like, cool, mine now. And then, and so then the phone rings and she picks it up. I think it's the woman from before or the, she was calling back that left the, he left the message on. And she's like, who's this? Cause now she's like, why is he called me for, to me to come over and now there's this other woman picking up the phone. So she sees the keys are in the ignition. She's thinking about taking the car. She starts to like lean over to get into it. And just as she's about ready to like hop the seat, Roger comes back around with a bag full of things. And she's like, oh, I got, you know, just acts like nothing's going on. But in her head, she's like, ah, I missed the opportunity. But at least she got a roll of quarters out of it. What's that, like five bucks or something? So, hey, and Michael J. Pollard comes out with a gun. And he's just like, he's ready to blow away whoever's going to take his truck or Cristal or whatever he's got. I don't know. And so they show up at the cabin. It's a big cabin. A lot of uh, wooden beams and statues. And I don't know how often he comes up to this cabin, but it looks in pretty decent shape. And she walks in and she's got like the sweatshirt on. She's like, what do you do for a living? He imports like old furniture and knickknacks and things. And he's kind of like trying to like woo her a little. Like she's looking at the art and she sees this axe on the wall. And um, he kind of tells a little tale about the axe. And it reminds me a lot of the axe from the episode uh, Lover Come Hack to Me, season one, episode five. It looks similar to the axe that Amanda Plummer's character takes the guys out with. And Norma seems pretty enthralled by the axe as well. 
his business that he runs of all this importing and stuff was started by his mother and he took it over from her or inherited it. And he's got a huge picture of his mother above the fireplace that he started up. And so he's like, well, why don't you get out of the rest of those wet clothes? I have some dresses upstairs. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, there's a woman that I used to be with. It didn't work out, but she left some of her clothes. You, you guys are about the same size. You're welcome to try them on. And so she goes up into the bedroom. He, she sees that there is some stockings and like a woman's robe hanging on the side of the bed. And so for her, she's, she's pissed, which I'm not sure exactly why. I guess because she thinks, because he's lying to her, I guess. But it's like, you don't hardly know this guy. Just, just get changed and then come down and then go to bed. You know, like whatever. But she's like, oh yeah, like a woman who was never here before, right? Yeah. Or isn't here anymore. Because these clothes are they're not like put away. They're just like laying on the side of the bed. So obviously some woman maybe woke up today and took them off. And so she's looking at the stockings and she thinks he's a jerk and all this stuff. Now, like I'm even starting to think like this, this episode kind of took me all over the place. Cause then she goes over to the closet and it's full of these other dresses too. And she's getting mad and thinking that he wants her to be some piece on the side cheating on some woman. And like, so now you're starting to think like she got wronged and Maybe she has something to do with the woman from the beginning or, you know, that got axed and because she was also interested in the axe. And so there's just a lot of like loops and turns in the episode, which I enjoy. It's just, we'll, we'll get to the ending. And so she, you know, is mad at him and all that stuff. And so she like takes some of the jewelry and starts throwing some stuff in her bags. And then she comes downstairs in this uh, black dress and he is like, oh, you look great, but you look even better with this. And he comes over and he puts this necklace that he says is from Catherine the Great and she puts a necklace on and she's like oh my god like he puts it on for her behind her and she looks in the mirror and she's like oh my gosh it's beautiful you know and um she's in the black dress and everything and it's still storming outside there are just lots of lightning so now it cuts to they're all dressed up he's in his suit she's in the dress and she puts her hair back in a ponytail and they're having this like candlelight dinner and he starts telling her more and more about this Norma opera that he loves and so he tells her the the story right so after Norma discovers that her lover Polyone unfaithful to her. She decides to commit suicide because she's broken her vow of chastity. But at the last moment, Polione joins her, and together they walk toward the funeral pyre as the curtain drops. That's it? That's how it ends? The guy cheats on her and she kills herself? Well, she, she doesn't do it because of him. She does it because she's broken no, her vow. No, she should have taken the gold and split to Paris or somewhere. That would have been a lot more believable but not poetic. All operas are filled with love-sick martyrs who end up dying. That's what opera's all about. Love and death. Love and death. I like that. She's like, I don't understand the ending. Like, why is she having to confess? And I was like, same. Yes, I feel the same way. Thank you, Brooke Shields. I don't understand this either. And then he starts talking about how he likes relationships with strong women, but he seems to bring out the worst in them. And I like this part because he calls her out at dinner. So, like, she's just kind of half paying attention, whatever. And he's like, you know, I like things about women. I like how beautiful they are and the way they laugh and all this stuff. Why did you steal that truck? What about you? Like, what do you want to know? Like who you are, really? Like what your name is? I know it's not Norma. Like, why did you steal that truck? You did, didn't you? I'm not going to tell anyone. I couldn't care less. Then why do you want to know? If you don't want to tell me the truth, that's okay. No, I'll tell you the truth. 
I came up here looking for my husband. He told me he was on a fishing trip with his buddies for the weekend, and it turns out he's shacking up with some bimbo. What happened? I dealt with it. So I guess after she did that, she was like, I got a steel truck. And then the truck broke down. And then she's all like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then he just looks at her and he's like, I feel this connection with you. And she's like, I feel it too. And you're like, oh, who is playing who? What is happening? And so then they cut to upstairs and they're going to do it, right? They're going to have a good time, whatever. And so it's him laying on the bed and she's, it just cuts to her like tying him up, right? She's tying his arm to the bedpost. And he's like, well, and she's like, well, don't tell me you always have to be in control. You said you want strong women, right? So that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, you could rob me and slit my throat. She's tying him onto the bed or whatever. Well, he's got one arm free, but she's trying to, she's using those stockings that she found earlier to tie him to the bedpost. These people hardly know each other. And then that's when he's, she's almost untying him up. And immediately Roger's like, oh, untie me. He just like unties the stocking and gets up. You're just going to have to trust me. Like you want me to trust you? Don't you think trust is sexy? Wait, what? What? Somebody downstairs. Wait here. Hello? Who's there? Where is she? Go ahead. And so he comes running back upstairs. Like she's kind of looking, like she goes out on the balcony to look and then she goes back on the bed. And he comes upstairs now in a, like a red, you know, he had like a striped robe. And he's like, okay, you need to do what I say. And he grabs her and she's, I guess still in her bra. I, th I think she took the dress off, but she's got like a towel. And he pushes her out onto the balcony. It's still raining and like storming. She's just in a towel. She's on a balcony in the rain where she can't get down out of the house. And he's just like, hang out here and I'm gonna get rid of her or you'll figure it out. And then he like opens the door and throws some blankets and things out there. So you're like, well, she might be here for a while. And she's looking over the side of the balcony. Like, can I jump down this tree or how's this gonna work? So she puts back on the clothes that she had that he gave her, comes back through the balcony door and she has a bag of like some jewelry and stuff she stole from him that she slid under the bed. So she grabs that bag and she just got like a shirt on. She's got her bra. Like she didn't do her shirt up or anything. She's just like heading down the stairs, trying to like sneak out. She's like, this isn't going to end well for me. I got to go. I guess she's going to steal his car. I don't know. And so she's creeping down the stairs, right? And it's still storming, like crazy storm. And like, there's a lot of lightning. This is a bad storm. And all the lights are off in the house. So all you see is just like lightning and statues and, you know, it's kind of creepy. And she's trying to get to the front door. Technically she should move a little faster probably. So she gets to the door and you see this white robe of some person taking the X off the wall next to that they were talking about earlier. And she's like, what? Like she turns, she's at the front door and she turns around. Technically you should just get out, just leave. I wouldn't even stop. And as she's walking back over, she steps on a remote and it turns on the TV and there's a, <laughs> well, what it is, is it's Roger. He is dressed as a woman. He has like a reddish wig thing on. And I kind of thought this could be a possibility too. When I saw the dresses in the closet, I was like, well, maybe there really is no other woman. Like the reason the stockings were out be was because he likes to wear women's clothing. So on the TV here, 
it's him talking to the camera all mad next to the axe by the fireplace. And then you shoot back over to the fireplace and here she comes. Here's Roger as this woman. I'll fix your ass for good. Sluts like you can fool Roger, but you can't fool me. Oh my God, Roger. I'm gonna make you look like that bitch at the restaurant. I'll fix your ass for good. So Roger has dressed as a woman to kill Norma. I'm assuming he was dressed as a man at the restaurant, changed when she went to the bathroom, which is like real risky in a way because it was real bloody and you left it for whoever was at that restaurant to find, which was probably traumatic and a huge mess and they shut down the restaurant. And so he comes after her. It's still got his video going and her. Roger dressed up as this woman and chasing her down with this axe. And she's trying to get out the door, but there's a chain on the door and she's freaking out. And he's slowly coming up on her and he lifts up the axe, brings it down. And then they just show like the shadow and her like bloody hand hitting the window at the front door. She should have just made a run for it, really. So when I first watched the episode, I really wasn't that impressed. I was like, okay, well, it seems a lot like Psycho and like kind of copied it and things like that. And I was a bit confused on some of the stuff and it really didn't stand out that much to me. But upon reviewing it again and going through it again, and I realize there is a lot to this episode. I mean, first of all, it's not that much like Psycho, but I went back and I looked through some of the episode and there's a lot of small things that didn't really stand out to me at first and really make this episode, I I don't like using this phrase, but it kind of blew my mind a little bit. So during the part where he's telling Norma that he knows it's not her name, I was like, well, how many know that quite for sure and so I was like I wonder if she kind of looked at because the CD of the opera was in his car that said Norma in big letters right so I was like I'm gonna go back and look at that so I went back and it's true for like so as soon as she gets in the car Brooke Shields's character and they're driving he's like what's your name for like a split second which I missed it she looks down and sees the CD and she says Norma and I was like oh so then it is a little less like psycho to me it's more with the musical and things like that or the opera or whatever so then I also kind of thought maybe the woman from the beginning that got killed maybe got killed by Brooke Shields's character that's obviously not true Roger did that he just went and dressed up as Joanne or anything so then I was like well how far does this go this has got to be some sort of like dissociative identity disorder or other part of him that's coming to play And so I was like, okay. So I also went back and watched some more of the beginning and things like that. And I realized when he makes that phone call in the beginning, I don't know why I didn't catch this before, but he makes this phone call in the beginning and gets that voicemail from Joanne. And that's the name of the woman that he's playing later, right? So what that means and what is crazy or what is unnerving about that is that he, as Joanne, went and made this whole voicemail just for him, I'm assuming. And then he called that number that he had already made the voicemail for and left a message as Roger to Joanne, 
even though that's still him, like in both sides, like it's him the whole time that he's got this entire other persona that he's not even, maybe not even aware of. And I think there's times too, maybe where like things get too crazy or too intense and he's got to bring it up. So like at the end, when Norma's tying him to the bed, the fact that he's losing control, I think maybe triggers something inside of him because he's starting to get tied up and he can't do as much as he wants and he likes to be in control. And so that's when he makes it seem like there's someone downstairs because it's like this force or pressure or something pushing him to get up and go down and become Joanne and then do this whole thing. Like, I don't know if he's that aware of it. And I was like, there's a lot to this episode. I like this episode more than I thought I did. But that's the end of the episode. And it cuts back to the Crypt Keeper. We're still in the airplane. All these dead people, like skeletons with wigs and clothes and everything are on the plane. Like they slide over and the Crypt Keeper is still in his suit and now he's in an electric chair and he's got the hat on to get electrocuted. <laughs> Crypt Keeper, you're so punny. And the best Crypt Keeper pun is... I know they say blondes have more fun, but you gotta admit, redheads really know how to swing. <laughs> oh, get it? Redheads really know how to swing? Because Roger was wearing a red wig. And he had an axe swing. So yeah, that's the end of season 5, episode 10, Came the Dawn. There is no IMDb trivia for this episode. The next episode is season 5, episode 11, Oil's Well That Ends Well. Thank you all so much for downloading and listening to this episode. There's a Facebook page you can follow for the Good Evening Kitties podcast. There's also a Twitter page you can follow. That's at G-E-K podcast or at Gek podcast. You can also leave a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Podcast Republic. And yeah, thank you all again so much for your support, and have a good one. Bye!